Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll be again for our sermon this morning. Genesis chapter 3, we'll read verses uh, 14 through 24 through the curses here. Pray and then we'll get into it. So this is Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 14. This is right after the fall, God pronouncing the curses. Genesis three, fourteen through 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust." And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife, and for his wife, garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reached out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, again, we just come before you and asking for you to be here among us, giving us eyes to see you clearly. We want to know you in truth. Jesus promises that a day is coming when we will worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that we would do that here this morning. Give us eyes to see you clearly. Break our hearts as we see ourselves clearly. That we might rejoice fully in the clear truth of the gospel and what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. To the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing on in our meta-narrative with the fall. We've spent two weeks now uh, talking about creation, right? What creation says about the Creator. He is transcending and He's descending. God is over it all. He has autonomy. He's independent. He has authority. He does what He wants. He is independent. He is not dependent upon us at all. He's a transcending God. He's a descending God. He communicates to us by general revelation, what we see in nature, what Paul is talking about in Genesis 1, general revelation, who God is is plain to all of creation. He also speaks to us as a descending God through special revelation, which is why we regard this book so highly. This is God's very word to us as a descending personal God. And God also descends to us 
primarily or seen most clearly in Jesus Christ. As the book of Hebrews tells us, God communicates to us through His Son. Jesus Christ incarnates, puts on flesh, and is God in the flesh for us. God, this is what creation says about the Creator. Next week was what creation says about the creature. In contrast to God, we are dependent. We are distinct, though, as creatures, humankind born in the image of God, Imago Dei, and we have design. We are created that we would glorify God. Then we talked about, last week, the fall. We started the second series, or the second idea, the second uh, movement in the storyline of creation, the storyline of redemptive history. The storyline goes like this, right? It's creation, fall, redemption, consummation or recreation this is the arc of scripture this is the arc of history creation fall redemption consummation so we started this second act you could say of fall last week and we talked about what the fall means for all of creation we looked at how the world is now broken natural evil exists in floods, in tsunamis, in tornadoes, in just things happening. Natural evil now exists as a result of the fall. And moral evil now exists. People doing harm one to another as a result of the fall. This week, though, we're going to try to personalize this a little bit and talk about what the fall means specifically for the creature, meaning you. What we're going to talk about is not abstract terms about why the world is like it is, but try to get at the, the, the question, why am I like I am? Why are we like we are? It's, a, it's easy, I, I want to press this point because there's a tendency when we talk about this narrative of Scripture that we're observing it as some sort of third party. Well, isn't this interesting what God is doing? Look at this, here's creation, here's fall, and last week we talked about the proto-euangelion, the, the first gospel that is declared there in Genesis 3.15, that the, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent, and the serpent is going to bruise the offspring's heel, foreshadowing Jesus Christ, who's going to show up and crush Satan under his feet while he himself is bruised in the heel on the cross. We talked about the foreshadowing of this remedy. But we do not want to sit and listen to this and observe this as third parties, as though we're reading a novel where it's like, well, isn't this interesting what God is doing? Creation, fall, and oh, there's a remedy coming. I wonder when that's going to show up. And we read this kind of as passive observers. What I want to do a little bit of work on this morning is that we would see this bears a lot of importance, a lot is an understatement, of importance for us. We don't want to be looking for him, this offspring, as, as though he's some sort of a role just in a story. We don't want to be looking for him as just some sort of completion to this story we sit third person to. We are looking for him because it holds supreme importance to us that this offspring show up and crushes the one who worked to ruin it all. This is of primary importance for us that this offspring show up. We need this offspring to show up. We need this one, the snake crusher. We need him to show up because it matters not for just the storyline, it matters for us. 
we are personally invested in this story. What the fall has created is not just a horizontal problem. The fall has not created just a horizontal problem between people and creation and people and other people. It has created that, right? And we see the sin in the world as a reality of the fall has created horizontal problems. Strife, uh, enmity, wars, natural evil, all of these things are horizontal problems and they are a result of the fall. But the fall also creates not just a horizontal problem, the fall also creates a vertical problem. The fall doesn't just create a horizontal problem here at ground level but in the world between other people. The fall creates a vertical problem between everything and everyone down here and the God who created it all. Thus, the snake crusher is supremely important to us because what he is here to do, what he's going to be coming to do, is to somehow bring the remedy not only to these horizontal problems, but to this vertical problem that exists between every creature that is and the creator that made them. This is why the storyline matters to you. Because not only do you have a horizontal problem, and that's an easy sell in today's world. You have horizontal problems. People that you don't like, people that don't like you, things that go wrong in the world, natural disasters. It's easy to say, isn't it obvious the world is broken and there's horizontal problems? People say, well, yeah, obviously. But the thing we often forget or is easier to ignore is that your biggest problem is not a horizontal problem. Your biggest problem is a vertical problem between you as a fallen creature and a holy, righteous God. And what the fall has done is not only done something wrong in the world, Something has gone wrong in us. Something has gone wrong in humanity. So Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to look at just briefly to give us a really good explanation back in Romans again. Romans chapter 5. And this is just Paul working out what happened at the fall. This is Romans chapter 5. We're going to read a decent chunk here. I like to read lots of Bible. We're going to read starting in chapter chapter 5 verse 12. This This is Paul's description of what happens in the fall he says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned he's speaking of adam there for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given skip down to 18 or 15 but the free gift is not like the trespass For if many died through one man's trespass, this is speaking of Adam, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. We're emphasizing here what happened with Adam. For For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. There's the, the contradiction or the comparison, the comparison here between Adam and his original sin, which brings condemnation for who? All men. And the work of Christ, which brings justification following many trespasses, which is the good news we get to in the next move of redemption. But we want to take time making sure we understand what happens here at the fall. Verse 18, therefore, of Romans 5, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. This is pretty brutal in its finality that through this one act, man becomes sinner and one who commits sin. It's often said that man is a, man is a sinner by nature and choice and that man is not um, a sinner because he sins, but that man sins because he is a sinner. That we don't become sinners because we, we are born and we go out and we do sins and so therefore we become a sinner. No, you're born and you sin because at your core you are a sinner. We are born dead in trespasses and sin. Under condemnation, we are born the living dead. I could even say it, we are born, yes, the walking dead. We are born those who are up and around and living, but really, we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. It's a logical conclusion to to refusing and rejecting and rebelling against the very one who gives you life. If the one who gives life is rebelled against, doesn't it make sense then that death becomes the result? And Augustine has some words on that, but we will flip over from that. So here's the reality. All mankind, when born, is born dead in trespasses and sin. Are you a part of mankind? Yes, you can affirm that. You are. You are born dead in sins. There are several places we could go to see this. I'm going to flow through here. We're not going to... You don't have time to look all these up this morning, but let's just take a quick survey of a few scriptures. Jeremiah, you can write it down in your sermon notes if you want to look them up later, or I can share this with you if you'd like a copy. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, no, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Thanks, Paul. That's Romans 3. Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Ephesians 2.1-3. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Colossians 1.21, I got some more here. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. In Titus 3, 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Well, that puts quite a blow to the humanistic mindset that says that man is essentially good and just needs some improvement. That's a, that's a thought out there in our world today is that man is essentially good and just needs help at getting that little, that little seed to germinate and blossom and flower. The Bible has a totally different message than that. It says that at your core, you are dead. And what you need is not coerced or helped. What you need is brought to life. What you need is born again. 
You don't need just educated. You don't just need to be taught better so that you can do better. You need to be born again so that you can become alive. We are the dead. The problem in the world and the problem with humanity is not that they're just not smart enough. Some of the smartest people, the most educated people, commit some of the most heinous atrocities, right? Isn't that evidence enough in itself that knowing better does not lead to doing better? Something is wrong with the human condition. Man is dead in sins. It is much worse than man being essentially good and just needing improvement. Man is dead and needs to be made alive. Man is cut off from God and his reconciliation needs to be mediated. Man in his natural state is under the wrath and judgment of a holy and righteous God. When we care about truth, these are the things we have to remind ourselves of. This is what scripture is clear on. We cannot forget this reality. So quickly going through um, the fall has resulted in man. If you want, if you have your Bible just in Genesis three, four through chapters four through six lays out the realities of what has happened from the fall. Genesis 3, we see at the end there, we read it this morning, that the fall results in man's disunion from God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. And when the fall happens, when sin happens, what happens? They are kicked out of the garden. They are, they are forced out of, of, of union and enjoyment of God in the way that they have made them. Disunion from God happens, separations Separation from God happens as a result of the fall. It's the emphasis of the Colossians passion that we read. Once We once were all alienated from God. You are born alienated from God. We're created to be in fellowship with our creator, but the fall caused humanity to be thrown from the garden and alienated from God. Quickly, we see in Genesis 4, 4, it doesn't take long that everything... Uh, we see then that this separation between God and man finds, needs mediation. Cain and Abel come along, and what do they do? They bring an offering to God. Cain brings, he's a worker of the ground. He brings uh, the fruit of the ground, and Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. Abel brings a sacrifice, we learn from the New Testament. He brings this sacrifice by faith, and Cain does not. But anyway, we see that there's this mediation going on between the creature and the creator because disunion has happened. Separation has happened. And now mediation needs to exist between this creator and his creation. Separation, disunion from God happens as a result of the fall. Your biggest problem is this vertical reality of you are born alienated from God. We Secondly, we see in, on in chapter 4, that hatred of God, it isn't just separation from God, it is also hatred of God. And it doesn't take long when Cain and Abel, uh, God is not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. And what happens? Cain murders his brother Abel. And things just spiral downwards in their hatred of God from there to the point that Lamech, he's the first polygamist, he marries two women. And then in 23, Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. I, a, young man, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold and Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Just this huge rebellion, hatred of God, hatred of who he is, and running away from him. In 6.5, we read, before the fall, before the flood, 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is a vertical problem. Only evil continually, not only separated from God, but hating God, not wanting anything to do with him. This is the natural state. So the fall has resulted in our disunion from God. The fall has resulted in our hatred of God. And the fall has resulted in the judgment of God. The fall has resulted. This is what the flood is about. When we say Noah, we should talk about Noah and the flood. Noah and the ark is kind of a nice way we put a spin on it. Noah's just gathering cute animals and they're going to float around in a boat for a while and then land and then repopulate the earth. Noah and the flood was God acting in judgment to wipe out all of humanity except for eight people. This is what happens from the fall. Judgment comes. Judgment comes. Wrath comes upon the earth. Noah is seen as a righteous man. He finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. We see in 6.8, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. But judgment comes to the world as a result of the fall. This is what Jesus says in Luke 17, 22 through 27. Flip over there, Luke 17. This is what Jesus, this is how he reads the flood account. This is what he says the point of the flood is. He says, For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. This is speaking of Jesus' return. But he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Judgment comes as a result of the fall. To the extent the fall of man plunges man into such sin and has brought upon mankind the just judgment of God. And we live in a world that, like those in Noah's day, think that since God has delayed his judgment, He somehow is not going to judge, but they are deceived. Jesus says clearly, they'll be partying, marrying and giving in marriage, doing whatever they want, having a good time, and then the judgment will show up. God will not spare His judgment. These are the hard truths of Christianity. God will not spare His judgment. The world in His sin, God will not spare His judgment. But I learned this term from my friend, my pastor friend, uh, Seth, that though God does not spare His judgment and will not spare sinners His judgment, He also did not spare His Son. Though God will not spare handing out judgment, God God also did not spare even His own Son. Romans 8.32 says that if God, how will He not graciously give us all these things that He who spared not even His own Son? God has an ark that those who are in will survive his judgment. So just like the proto-euangelion, Genesis 3.15, is a foreshadowing of Christ, the ark is a foreshadowing of Christ. Though this fall is radical and it's vertical disunion and hatred of God and his coming judgment, we are not without an ark. And the, the narrative of Scripture that though the fall is real, there is someone to hide in so that when the judgment comes, and it is coming, we might be saved through the judgment of God. And that someone is Christ Jesus. 
that someone is Christ Jesus. We need driven down to the depths of the reality of who we are as sinners before a holy, righteous God so that when we see the ark, when God gives us eyes to see Jesus Christ as the rescuer that He is, we run to Christ that we would escape this judgment that we deserve, that we have earned, that we would escape it, born dead in sins. We might, be, we might be made alive and given eternal life through this Savior, Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, 36. Let me read this to you in closing. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. To not believe in the Son is to remain under the wrath of God. Judgment is coming. It is to remain under what the fall set in motion. Separation from God, hatred toward God, judgment coming from God. But to believe in the Son is to be forgiven of sin and to receive eternal life, not eternal judgment. Go on up to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Christ suffers our disunion on the cross. Christ suffers our judgment upon the cross so that through repentance and faith we would be forgiven of sin and that the disunion that exists between all of mankind and God, the disunion that exists between you and God as you are born dead in sins, that that disunion could be wiped away and that union could happen, that God adopts you as your, His dear children. You become a member of the family of God, forgiven and reconciled to God. Jesus suffers our judgment on the cross so that we could share in His righteousness and one day live forever in the Eden made new in full fellowship with God. This is where we're heading. This is your personal story, though. This is where we're heading in recreation, the return of a new Eden. And God is on His way bringing it back. Creation, fall, what it means for us. Redemption is is in Jesus Christ. And redemption is real. The fall is real. That's why we rejoice because redemption is real too in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I want to rejoice in in what Christ is for me out of a realization of how desperate my condition is apart from you.